Welcome, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us for our episode three of Prodigious Kentuckians. Tonight, we're going to be talking about real estate. And just a quick note to everyone listening out there, we are now on YouTube. We're on uh, just about every podcast site out there. And by request, just in the last four or five days, we now have a Facebook page called Prodigious Kentuckians, where we post all of the videos that we've had in the last uh, three or four shows. So I'm your host, Trent Garrison, and this is my co-host, Julie Martinez. Julie, how's it going tonight? Great. So glad to be here with you all, and I'm excited to talk about housing in Kentucky, and particularly in Fayette County today. Yes, yes, me too. So for tonight, for that subject, we could not ask for better guests to talk about that. We have with us Liz Hodge and our PVA, if you live in Fayette County, David O'Neill. So welcome to you both. How's it going with you all? Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. We're excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're happy to talk about this as well. I mean, there's lots of people have been, just in my friend circle, have asked about, uh, you know, that's just a conversation that keeps on going. What's what's the deal with real estate these days? So I'm happy to happy to talk about that. It's a little bit outside of what we usually talk about, but I, I, but that's a good thing. So Liz, let's just jump right in and start with you. Instead of me going through the bio that... Um, that you sent me and that we, we posted on the page and everything, which is really impressive. I'm going to ask you to tell me a little bit about yourself and your background, you know, how you got involved, uh, how you became a real estate agent, your, your, your work on that and your accomplishments. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for having us tonight. Um, I always love talking real estate. I know David does too, because this is kind of our passion. This is not only what we do for a living, but it's also kind of where our hearts are. Um, so I actually got into real estate about seven years ago. I was a nurse previously for uh, 10 years and a stay-at-home mama with two little girls. Um, and I went through a divorce and I had these two little girls and I didn't want to go back to office hours. So a girlfriend of mine suggested, why don't you try real estate? And I was like, I'll never be good at that. I'm not a salesperson. I, I can't do a sales pitch. And she's like, that's exactly why you'll be great at it. She said, authenticity, um, just being honest and doing a great job. And so I jumped into real estate. I absolutely loved it. Um, it's commission work for an agent at first. It's a little bit nerve wracking for a single mama. Um, so I got the huge honor of working for Greenhouse 17, the domestic violence program in Lexington for four years while I kind of got my real estate uh, career up and going. And through all that, I've gotten to touch a whole lot of lives, uh, serve on a lot of boards. I'm the president of the Lexington Forum um, this year, which I'm very honored to be. Um, and I run a nonprofit in Lexington too, which I'd love to talk about too a little bit. But basically real estate right now is crazy. And I know David, when he introduces himself, will say a little bit about it too. Yeah, you know, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. So let's put that on the back burner for right now. And we'll, we'll get back to that in a little bit. And I think David is going to give us a little bit of a quick presentation now, next. So David, if you want to um, you tell us a little bit about yourself before you pull that up. And, you know, same question to you. How did you, how did you get involved in this? How did you become PVA? How did you get involved in real estate? Well, great question. I guess politics is what most immediately brought me to the, to the position. PVA is an elected uh, county position. Uh, most people think that I'm a, a, an employee of the city, but I'm not. I'm a, a, it's a state office. It's elected once every four years on the same election cycle as county clerk and, and sheriff. Prior to becoming PVA, I worked almost my entire career in horse racing. I worked for a company called Equibase that's a subsidiary of the Jockey Club, which is the breed registrar for thoroughbred horses. And Equibase is the official data provider uh, for, for thoroughbred horse racing. So when you go out to Keeneland and you open the program and you see the stats 
on each horse and on each race, all of that comes from Equibase. And I worked for Equibase almost my entire career before becoming PBA. And I like to tell people how just completely similar the jobs are. I was expecting it to be a completely different type of role when I became PBA, but but my day-to-day uh, my day-to-day life in the two jobs were very similar. In both cases, uh, my job primarily is managing uh, large amounts of data, a large uh, database that's very heavily used by the public through a popular uh, web interface and, and managing a lot of people. Um, the Office of PBA gives me the opportunity to expand a little bit more beyond horse racing to also include uh, real estate and architecture and and uh, urban planning and development and a lot of the other things that that I that I have a great deal of interest in. So it's it's been a great fit for me. Well, you and I have talked about this before. We were chatting a little bit about it earlier. The uh, the PVA website is something that I am very interested in. Uh, it has it's GIS based, and that's something you know I've had classes in in the past. And there's just a tremendous amount uh, of information on there. So. Uh, maybe you'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Uh, so yeah, I'll be happy to. Sure. Great. Great. You want to jump into your presentation at this point? Uh, sure. I could do that. Uh, so what I want to share with you guys is uh, a presentation that I initially gave to the Gatton uh, School of Economics, their, uh, their economic outlook conference. And I've paired it back since then. While you're getting that ready, something that I wanted to mention and I slipped my mind is for the folks watching on the various different places where this is being live streamed, uh, both David and Liz, Liz encouraged everyone to ask questions. This is about please, please. answering questions to Central Kentucky Real Estate, PBA, you know, those types of things. They're very open uh, to answering any types of questions that you guys have. So feel free to pop them in the comments and we will try to get to them. Looks great. We got it? Yep. yep. Looks good. Okay, so So the first thing that I that I want to talk a little bit about is the differences between affordable housing and housing affordability. So housing affordability means how how likely you and I are in the in the average person is to be able to buy the house that that they want in the neighborhood that they want uh, in the proximity to work in the neighborhood that they want to live in, which is different than the tech the, than the term affordable housing. And affordable housing is a much more specific term that when, when people talk about, it, they generally mean uh, this federal government um, defined term affordable housing, which means that you should be able to cover all of the expenses of putting a roof over your head for no more than 30% of your household income. So for, for housing to be affordable, that's the definition that people mean. And there is a significant um, lack of affordable housing here in Lexington, but not just in Lexington. It's, a, it's an issue all across the country. And affordable housing is also an issue. So on the, the bottom of the, uh, 
the, the main slide here is a link to a housing demand study that several local groups went together in commission recently to, to see what the demand for housing was gonna look like over the next several years. So I encourage you to take this link and get a copy of it in PDF format. There's all kinds of interesting stuff in there. We're not gonna get into very much of that tonight, but I'll uh, get into it a little bit. So, um, I'm also watching on the Facebook Live, and, and the, the screenshot is not advancing on the uh, the live version here. So I'm not really sure what you're seeing. What oh, are you seeing, Trent? The the, li the live stream on Facebook is about 10 to 15 it's seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So, so you, I'll, did, you just I'll, roll I'll, I'll on. Stop and we'll looking at that. Yeah, you, <laughs> you just roll on, and we'll we'll watch for it. <laughs> okay. All right. So the the the, the most basic metric that my office uses and a lot of us use to kind of keep an eye on what the health of the housing industry and the real estate market is, is just how many houses are we selling in any given month or any given year. And so the, the screenshot that you see here are the number of, of homes sold in each year since 2011. And 2011 was the absolute bottom of the, the, the recession here locally. And then every year after that, uh, sales have gotten consistently better up to 2016 and 2017. But after 2017, they started dropping off. And in my opinion, the reason that they started dropping off is just because we have a lack of inventory of houses available to, to sell, for Liz to sell. And she'll talk about this a little bit more. I think if we had a full inventory of, of houses available for sale that we need, that that number would continue to increase every year and would be uh, uh, at, at the present time. So I also wanna point out, uh, here, here are, again are the bars looking at the number of houses sold. And then I, I'm gonna move this over and then drop in some years previous to this, the, the, the absolute heyday in Lexington and the, the number of houses sold was in 2004, 2005. And then it started dropping off pretty consistently, bottomed out in 2011. But I want to compare these numbers to the number of homes being built each year, because that's the inventory that we need. That's what we need to do to add inventory to the housing uh, stock that we currently have. And so I'm going to drop that in here with these green bars. So the green bars are the number of homes built each year. And obviously, they're all, they're, it's going to be lower than the number of homes sold each year. But the point I want to make here is notice the trend is very similar. The trend in the number of homes built each year kind of tracks similarly to the number of homes sold each year until after the recession. And here's what it looks like after the recession. We are still building the same number of houses each year now that we were building in the depths of the, of the recession. That, that part of our industry never really recovered and bounced back. And right now, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but the cost of materials is exorbitant. Um, and so a lot of our builders have put a, a, a halt on their builds. A lot of our flippers and investors, and we'll talk about that some too, um, they're waiting for this bubble of materials that have just flown skyrocketed three, four times what it was, um, especially before COVID. Um, it's just, it's not affordable for somebody to build a spec home right now, a builder. 
So here is a, is a look at the median sale price for a newly constructed home. And basically the, the takeaway here is we are no longer building starter homes in Lexington. So the median sale price of a newly constructed home um, the first year that we started recovering from the recession was about $200,000. And just a reminder from your stats classes, median means half of them were less than that, half of them are more than that. And so now in 2020, the median sale price is $315,000. And that's a significant increase. So what again, the takeaway here is we're no longer building starter homes. So when many of us were looking to, to purchase our first home, you know, we had plenty of options to choose from, whether it was in Masterson Station or Polo Club, we're, but we're no longer building those types of houses here in Fayette County. So uh, referencing quickly back to the housing study, and here's the link again, if you missed it before, but here's a, just one screenshot that I took from the housing study. And the, the people who participated in this were uh, Elbar, the realtors, the home builders, Fayette Alliance, my office in the city of Lexington commissioned this study. And this is a breakdown of how many uh, owner-occupied versus rental properties we needed, how many of them should be single-family houses versus condos and townhouses. But the bottom line number over this 10-year period from 2015 to 2025 was we needed an additional 23,000 roughly additional units of housing on top of what we already had just to dig ourselves out of the deficit, the lack of housing that we had, and then keep up with, with growth over time. So part of where that number comes from, just to give you some frame of reference, is um, our current population is about 325,000. Historically, we've grown in Lexington at a rate of about 1.2% a year. So at 325,000, a one-year growth rate of 1.2% uh, means an additional 39, almost 4,000 people. And our typical household size here in Lexington is 2.2 people. So that means that one year's worth of growth means we need an additional 1,773 units of housing just to take care of the influx of new people into Fayette County. And so here, I've also added here for a 1% growth rate and a three quarters of a percent growth rate because as luck would have it, we did not continue to grow at 1.2%. That number did decline. So here's what kind of the linear demand looked like out of that demand study, the number of houses. So it was gonna be somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,700 to 2,200 that we needed per year. And there's the green bars from, that I showed you previously. That's the number of single family homes that we've built each year compared to the demand line from the housing demand study. So then let's also drop in multifamily, that's apartment complexes. And you can see we're not building anywhere near the units of housing that we really need uh, to, to keep up with demand here. There's the actual demand because like I said, we did not continue to grow at 1.2%. We grew at something less than that. So for three years and three years only, we built enough units of housing that we could have gotten by, but that does not take into account the fact that we, we had a huge deficit. We already were lacking uh, units of housing that we desperately needed. And so here's, uh, you know, we've all had enough economics to know when you've got an increase in demand and you don't have a corresponding increase in supply, price has to go up, right? It's an economic law. And here's median sale price in Fayette County from the recession. So it used to be coming out of the recession, the average person could go buy a house for $158,000. Half of all the homes sold in Fayette County were $158,000.
half of them were above that. Now that number is 220,000. Wow. So uh, be a good idea to give everybody a little bit of a primer. So part of what's driving this, um, this increase in demand and not an increase in supply is Lexington has uh, an urban service boundary. We have a growth boundary and it was, we were one of the first cities in the country to implement it. And it's been a powerful tool to help us uh, control sprawl out into the beautiful rolling hills and the horse farms. It's worked very well from that standpoint, but it, it's come at, at a cost. And many people believe that the, that the growth boundary eliminates sprawl, but it doesn't, it just controls sprawl. So the blue shaded area here is the urban area. This is where we're allowed to build new houses. And that's where 95% of us live. The green shaded area are the horse farms. And that is what's protected. And it's protected because you cannot subdivide a piece of land in that green shaded area by anything less than 40 acres. So that's how we, uh, can, how we control the sprawl. But what we're really doing is causing the sprawl to leapfrog over the green areas into surrounding counties. And so now, surrounding counties like Jesmond County and, and Madison County, uh, Richmond, Winchester and Clark County, they're seeing significantly higher uh, population increases than we are. So here's a couple David, of, yeah. I, um, what slide are you on? <laughs> um, you mean in terms of how close to the end? Well, I, on my screen, it's, Toward the front still is it the same with everybody else's or yeah it's not it's not moving it's, not, it's advancing. not advancing yeah i'm not sure why i'm not either you can just explain it i guess i don't, I don't know why it's not moving <laughs> okay <laughs> sorry okay so um a couple of additional uh stats that came out of the housing said that you might find interesting is that, and th this I think was a surprise to most people that half of all of the jobs in Fayette County are now being worked by people who don't live here. They're, they're commuting in from other counties and almost a third of them are commuting in from more than one county away. Yes. So, the the takeaway from this is is you know when we say well Lexington isn't growing by the number of people that you would expect us to be growing by and they say well that's good you know we're, we we don't have the increased traffic but what's happening is is that is that folks are going there's kind of a saying in in urban development you just keep driving until you can afford it. So mm -hmm. folks, when they're ready to buy a house, they just start driving to the suburbs and they buy when they can afford it. And that lately has been in Georgetown or Richmond or Nicholasville. And so they're going where the housing is. And then when a company is looking to relocate to the area and bring jobs to the area, they're going to go where the people are. And so Lexington and our local government um, depends on payroll taxes to provide most most of the services property tax revenues don't go to too much on the city level it goes almost entirely to the schools so the the way that that the city increases its revenues without raising the tax rates is by population growing and right now it's not at the 
levels that it has been and that's a problem for the city making its budget so since we are having technical difficulties here with the slides i will stop here and uh and throw it back to the group okay well liz if you, I've, I've asked several questions so i was going to see if you wanted to jump in and had any comments on that and see if julie had any questions yeah, David is completely right. And we see that, see that trend as agents. Um, when I have a client call me and say, I'm looking to purchase a home, and especially first-time home buyers um, or somebody who's looking for something that's semi-affordable, we go looking in other counties. We can't look in Fayette County because there's nothing that's that's obtainable here, especially for first-time home buyers or somebody who's obtaining a VA loan or FHA loan or rural housing or something like that. We're going to look outside the county and that takes our tax money out. David's completely correct about that as well. Um, I will say too that, you know, as we're jumping over borders, um, us as agents, we start looking at the other counties as to who is popping off, you know, the quickest, who is getting, you know, I use the example of um, Nicholasville, right over the Nicholasville Fayette County line, you've got all that uh, equious, um, oh, equine area, it's all in the 850 to a million dollar homes. It is literally, you can see the Fayette County line from there and the houses right over the line, you know, they're still expensive, but like those are gone to 850 a million at least. Um, I foresee the next place that's gonna boom is probably Winchester to be quite honest with you. You've got the I-75 viaduct there, you've got Hamburg, you've got new schools out there, tons of new schools, new shopping, and there's no place for anybody to live. Um, Ball Homes, last time I checked, had currently stopped signing any new contracts right now, which is record setting. So they are finishing the contracts that they have, but it's not affordable for them right now to pay $6.50 for a two by four of lumber when it used to be $2.30. So yeah, the affordability is, as, a, as a compared to um, affordable is, I love hearing David's um, uh, presentation on this. He's done it several times and it's just super eye-opening to, you know, basically people are going to have to go where they can afford housing and it's not in Lexington right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, David, that was fascinating. I'm still, I feel like I'm still kind of like sinking in some of the information you just shared with us. Well, I'm sorry about the technical difficulties because the slides oh. help with the, the visual <laughs> considerably. It's always something in the Zoom days. Yeah. Very interesting. And and I loved your definition between the affordable and affordable housing, like you were just mentioning, Liz. Um, so I heard you say a couple of things that are impacting that. Obviously, the, the growth boundary um, being one of those that, that people talk about. Liz, you so there, there's three. I'm sorry to cut you off, Julie. So there's oh, no. Go ahead and tell us all three most, of them. Most people talk about the three primary costs of, okay. of development, and that's land, lending, and labor. Right, so right now lending is at, at an all-time low. You, you know, the interest rates are at an all-time low. Labor, there is a labor shortage, and it's hard to to get help. And and land is significantly impacted by the growth barrier. So all of our development, like I was telling you before, has to happen inside the urban service area. But the city has identified that we're down to now less than uh, roughly five thousand acres of available land on which to develop housing. And, and not only do we need land for housing, but we also need land for economic development to bring jobs. When, when the population increases, we'll need to build more schools, we'll need more um, other civic uh, things like parks and that type of stuff. So for every three acres of land that we need for housing, we really need a total of four acres to accommodate all of these things. And we're at a point right now where we have a, a definite shortage of that. 
And our builders, especially too, like if you're not a big uh, builder, like a ball or something like that, if you're a custom builder, what do you want to build? You don't want to build $150,000 homes and have labor out the wazoo to get all those done. You want to build one or two half million dollar homes and sell those. And so your price of housing goes up for that too. If you're looking for a build, you're not going to find a $150,000 build right now. And even if you wanted to build $150,000 houses, you can't because you, you would need to buy a lot for ten dollars or $15,000 to be able to sell it and make a profit. And right now, lots are closer to $40,000, dollars $70,000. So if the price of the lot you know, is, is $50,000, then there's no way that you're going to build a house for $100,000 and sell it for one hundred and fifty. Mm -hmm. This is, this leads into my next question and this is anecdotal, but over last summer, we, uh, we bought a house, did some work on it, you know, did Airbnb, rented it out for a little while and decided to sell it because the market was, you know, doing pretty well at that point in time. And we put it on, it was just, a, you know, a small house, but a nice one in, in our neighborhood. And uh, we put it up for sale by owner and I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know if it would ever sell, <laughs> you know, I didn't. But uh, in that price range, there was nothing else for sale in that price range. So it's so I got like, I don't know, three offers within an, an hour. An hour <laughs> yeah. And it was sold. Next time, Trent, you better call me. I, I can know, I know. Offers. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know what we were doing. And yeah, then, then, then you immediately have to wonder, well, did I ask enough for it, right? I get that. When it goes that fast, you have to wonder. If you ask too much, you don't get the competitive offer. So I always, you know, especially right now in a certain price range, there's no inventory. Um, Elbar right now, this time last year, had about 3,400 active listings. We're at about 1,200 right now. Um, we were going into COVID about three months behind in inventory. Um, and now it's just, it's just, we're watching one or two houses pop on the market each day. Um, so when they come, it's like a swarm. Um, we have to have our buyers super ready. They have to be pre-approved and ready to run. And I mean, I'm running out of my house with my kid in the back seat. You know, we're driving at 9 p.m. to go look at a house for this client so we can put in an offer. There's going to be 12 other offers. How do we win out? You know, and as, as agents, we don't want our clients to over purchase. We don't want them to pay too much. But in this market, it's so competitive. Prices are going well over list price. Um, they're not even appraising and people are having to bring cash to the table, 10, 20, $30,000 to finish the deal because that seller knows they could put that house back on the market, even though it didn't appraise and they can maybe get an all cash deal and not have to worry about a lender. So this poor new home buyer is going, oh God, I don't want to lose this house. Can my parents, you know, loan us $10,000 to get this closed? Um, yeah. If you stick any, I say stick a dog house on the market right now if you don't have to buy. Now, if you have to buy, right. I say, yeah, let's have that discussion as to whether it's worth it right now to get the most amount for your house. And then you're going to pay top dollar right now. Mm -hmm. So what does, uh, that, that leads into my, my last two questions and I'll turn it, the rest of it over to Julie. How does all this play in with COVID? And that, that's my first question. And the second one is, are there any opportunities for people who like are amateur <laughs> You know, one of one of rent a house, buy a house, fix it up, rent it out, or or sell it. Are there any opportunities right now, or is it best to wait on that sort of thing? David, do you want to talk about COVID first and how you've kind of seen? You know, based on the lack of inventory and the demand for housing, I'm not seeing that it has much impact. I think Liz could probably talk more about you know the the mechanics of showing houses in the age of COVID and that type of thing. But just from the turnover rate 
you know, it, it, I'm sure it would have had to have slowed it down a little bit, but we're not really seeing it in the numbers because demand is so high. Yeah. And um, this has been one of my biggest, best years. I just hired on two buyers agents underneath of me because I was so busy. It was crazy. Um, but we are just now starting to see a, a touch of a slowdown with the materials being more expensive. I have a lot of flippers and investors that are clients of mine. So Trent, I can help you there too. Um, and so they are usually a lot of my bread and butter. They'll sell four or five homes a month. Um, and without them being able to do that, they're all holding off. So that also makes my buyers, I usually have a handful of houses I know that are coming on because my flippers are flipping them. And I know eh, in about two weeks, you're going to get this really cute little bungalow that's completely redone. None of that right now either. Um, so far as Corona affecting us as agents, we are, um, we're malleable and we are very adaptable by nature. Most of us are um, just in the nature of our work. We are therapists. We are help with your finances. We get you through the divorce or the marriage or the transition or whatever you're doing to buy a house. Um, so we've learned to adapt. We learned to go tech savvy. A lot of agents are um, weren't before and they've had to learn it. Um, all of my buyer's orientations and seller's orientations are virtual. So I meet people by Zoom. I sold a house this last month. The people were from out of state. They never saw their house until they stepped in it the day they closed on it. I picked Can you imagine doing that, buying a, buying a house sight unseen? Yeah, I went and I go with my phone and my cameras and my everything. And, and I show them the light fixture 15 times if they want to see it. And I show them the bathroom again. And we go through it again and again and again if need be. And then I give them my professional advice of, yes, this is a good purchase. And you're going to love this home after we've talked so long. Um, but we do all the things we're supposed to be doing. We follow all of the safety guidelines that are being put out. We are very stringent about it because we are considered essential workers. We don't want to lose that. Um, and we don't want our clients to lose that. I've got clients right now that are homeless, that we're looking for houses. What would happen if we can't find them a home? Um, so we mask, we sanitize. We've gotten some really great ideas on having our sellers turn on all their lights before they leave for a, uh, a showing and open all the doors to the closet so nobody touches anything. We walk in and we hold our hands together like in kindergarten, you know, and, and then we just look at everything and I can, you know, sanitize things as needed. Um, and then we can do everything virtually. So everything's on virtual platforms. I can sign, I can get closings done. The title companies in Lexington have been amazing about having us do drive-through closings. So you drive through and you get your paperwork and then the seller drives through and they get theirs and then we all sign it and we all drop it back off. We're adaptable. So we're, we're making a do and I agree with David. There's been no, until probably this last month, absolutely no hesitation in sales for us. We have banged it out. So to answer your question, Trent, on the opportunities, opportunities are harder to come by. It is clearly right now a seller's market. So, you know, it used to be that you could go to the master commissioner. That's the, the local government office that, that processes foreclosures, you know, the, the proverbial being sold on the courthouse steps type situation. It used to be able to, you could go there and pick up a house for two thirds its fair cash value, but that's just not the case anymore. They're selling for much closer to retail pricing. Um, there are a number of uh, groups and individuals who are what's referred to as wholesalers. So they will find deals uh, direct from property owners. Uh, some of you may be familiar with the signs you see along the side of the street, you know, cash for your house, closing a week, that type of thing. And, and sometimes some of these guys have bad reputations, but I don't think that's necessary. You know, there are a lot of reasons why you might need or want to sell your property, but it's not really uh, appropriate. It's not the type of thing that a real estate agent 
you know, is going to showcase for you. You know, there's there's a lot of hoarders in the world. There's a lot of deferred maintenance in the world. And so you may need to and want to sell your house, but not have to do, you know, the cleanup or the painting. So there are wholesalers that purchase the property from the homeowner um, and get them what they what, what they need to, and where they need to be. And then the wholesaler then sells the property to either an investor or to to for somebody to buy it themselves and, and put a little TLC into it and, and move into it. So if, if you want to establish a relationship with a wholesaler, there might be some opportunities for you that way. But just for somebody to make their first investment purchase, it's definitely tougher now than it used to be. It's definitely tougher. I agree with David. It does help um, get you a very well networked agent um, because a lot of times my flippers get their homes from me because I hear from a friend or a family member, someone's passed away or somebody's gone into foreclosure or bankruptcy. Um, and then I can make the connection between them before it goes on the open market, before it goes out there to a wholesaler. Um, and wholesalers do do what they do. I mean, they basically take a home and um, get it to the investors who want it and need it. But they also know that the prices are way up there right now too. And they're jacking their stuff up. Everybody wants to make money off this right now, which is just raising it all. But, mm -hmm. but we could find you something, Trent. I promise you, I just, I just found one. My music minister at my church wanted to get an investment property this, this year. We found him the cutest little thing. He's got a renter in it. We did it all really quick and, and super simple for him. So. Well, that's good to know. It's good to know that you're malleable. That's a geologic term. So I appreciate that word. Uh, and uh, so, we, you know, we're, I want to be respectful for your time, but, we, you know, we're running up on the last uh, seven or eight minutes here. So I was going to see if Julie had any questions or if we had any comments. I haven't seen, we have a bunch of people watching, but I haven't seen any comments roll in. So last chance for any questions, if anybody out there watching wants to ask any questions while we're live, once we're not live anymore. It'll probably be a little too late. <laughs> so uh, get your questions in if you have any. Not well, Julie, I, go ahead with your. I have one question um, that I'd like to ask, and then we can see if anybody puts the last one in on our comment stream as well. So you know, this is maybe a little bit more of a policy question, but you know, clearly we're in a situation that's not sustainable, right? We have a finite amount of land. We have increasing amounts of population. Um, you know, I'm originally from Jesmond County, so I've watched over my life that sprawl happened just in, you know, my home county, even though I live in Lexington now, you know, and I lived in Southern California for a while as well. If you want to talk about sprawl and about moving out, how far, like how far you move out that you can afford, I moved back to Kentucky because I couldn't <laughs> afford anything in California. You skipped um, right over Riverside County and so, went all the way to yeah like we were looking at Riverside and then it was like well might as well just go back to Kentucky <laughs> at that point um, so you know we're in a situation it's not sustainable so what kind of policies should we be thinking about what kind of conversations should we be having here in Fayette County and in central Kentucky because we also have issues around gentrification we have issues around equity you know we people need to be able to live reasonably to where they work um, you know, for people who don't have high income positions. So what kind of policies, conversations, that kind of thing can we be having? I know the city has looked at some of that, but I don't think it's really gotten into our popular conversation of what we should be thinking about as people who live here. I think those are some, some really astute observations. And so the, this uh, increased demand and decrease in supply affects those at the lower end of the economic spectrum most profoundly. And, and, and it happens through gentrification. And uh, gentrification is, in a nutshell, what gentrification is, is when health, wealthier home buyers 
go into a neighborhood and purchase homes of longtime tenants and displace them. So it's a little, it's different than just urban renewal. Okay. There, there needs to be this, there, there needs to be some aspect of displacement and that's what gentrification is. And we're displacing people um, who don't have good alternatives for somewhere else to live because we have an extreme affordable housing shortage. So, you, you know, again, I think Liz touched on a minute ago that you want to be careful encouraging somebody to sell their house right now because they may not be able to find another house to live in. Well, if you're, if you're living in affordable housing, what used to be affordable housing until it became gentrified, now you really have nowhere to go. So that it's really impacting those most severely. And so there are a lot of uh, neighborhoods and parts of town that are susceptible to gentrification and we need to keep an eye on. So there is a city task force called Neighborhoods in Transition. And you can find it if you go to lexingtonky.gov uh, and look for Neighborhoods in tra Transition. It's chaired by uh, council member James Brown and I, I serve on the committee. I encourage you to keep an eye, um, keep an eye on that. Um, so the, we update our uh, comprehensive plan. The comprehensive plan is what the city uses to decide how to grow and how to expand and, and what, what zoning looks like. And, and we update it once every five years. And so that is when we take a look at and decide whether or not it's time to expand the urban service area and bring in some more land for development. So most recently, city council voted not to expand the urban service area. That means that our growth policy at this point is infill and redevelopment. So that's to increase density within the urban area. So that's build a house on the vacant lot next to you. That's to put townhouses and condos on the corner instead of replacing it with a single family detached house. Um, it, that means going up instead of out. That's, that's what infill and redevelopment is. And that is our 100%, that is our growth strategy right now as a community. And so I mentioned the three big cost factors in development, land, lending, and labor, but there's also a fourth one and it's NIMBYism. And NIMBYism, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's an acronym that stands for not in my backyard. And so this infill and redevelopment strategy sounds really good to folks who don't want to expand the urban service area and they want to protect growth or protect our green areas, which all of us do. But infill and redevelopment sounds better in somebody else's neighborhood than it does right next to us. And that is a significant contributor to the cost um, of development. Uh, right now in Lexington and why builders don't want to do a lot of infill and redevelopment. They don't want the hassle of fighting, um, fighting every single neighborhood association. Liz came up with a great term a while back for this. I'll, I'll let her tell that she wants to. Yeah, that, there was a meme going around that was saying that, uh, what do you call um, a group of Karens, an HOA? Yeah. You know, it's neighborhood right. associations are, their default position is no, that's what they, that's what they do. Yep. And, you know, that's not always necessarily a bad thing, you know, start with no, and then negotiate with the builders and developers and work in things like noise, you know, abatement and green spaces and that type thing to a point, you know, but when you get to the point that it's no longer profitable uh, to do the infill and redevelopment, when you've decided that is your growth strategy. You know, we have decided that we are gonna grow by increasing the density along our corridors. Our corridors are Nicholasville Road, Harrodsburg Road, Winchester Road, Richmond Road. Those are our corridors. Mm -hmm. And the, the policy 
right now is to increase density to increase the floor area ratio. That's a term you'll, you'll probably hear more about um, as we get deeper into this. But if you'll pay attention now, I'm going to tell you now, and now it's going to be on your radar and you'll notice it. Every single development that is proposed is met by neighborhood objections. Every single yes. one of them. Absolutely. We do have one question here. Um, what about the ADU plan? I'm not sure what that is. Do you all know what the ADU is? An ADU is an accessory dwelling unit. And what, yes. what it is, it's, it's, uh, if it's a mother-in-law suite, you know, and it can be either an apartment in your basement or an apartment over your garage. It could be a standalone unit in the backyard. Uh, they, were, they were passed in. It's one thing, uh, Julie, that they did in California recently was passed ADUs to try to, uh, you know, absorb some of the, the, uh, the housing shortage there. Right now, it's, it's at a committee with Urban County Council, but it has not been passed out of committee yet. So it has been recommended, I believe, by the Planning Commission and by the, the planning staff, but right now it's with council uh, to come out of a, of a committee. You know, right now, you're not allowed to have a second unit of housing on, a sing, on the same property of a single family detached house. So you can't just wake up one day and convert your garage into an apartment with its own standalone kitchen. That's not permitted under our current zoning. I think there's some concern maybe on that. Um, I'd forgotten what the name of it was, but around whether those could be rental properties. because And, sure, and short-term rentals, but, you know, people are concerned about turning them into Airbnb and then you've got, you know, extra cars parked on the street and parked in your yard and people partying all night and that type of thing. But, but what's been proposed right now is to allow an accessory dwelling unit on the same property with an owner occupied property. So you wouldn't be able to take an investment property and then turn it into two units of housing. You, you as the owner would need to live there and deal with the note, with the noise situation or the trash situation or whatever. And I think that should alleviate most people's concerns. Great. And then we had one other person who asked, is it possible that we could get copies of the slides? Would we be able to share those out maybe on our Facebook page? Well, how, how about um, somebody send me an email, david.oneill, O-N-E-I-L-L at ky.gov, and, and I'll try to help you get the stats that, you're, that, that you might be looking for. Great. Thank you. Well, I've learned a lot. I'm sure Julie, we, we've all learned a lot. You guys have been great. You're obviously very knowledgeable uh, in this sort of thing. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the roles you're in right now. So can't thank you enough. When things get back to normal, I'd be happy to buy you guys a beer sometime. I, I can't wait to for things to get back to normal for us to go out in public again. Can so, I make one shameless plug really quick? Sure. So you, you all as Fayette Countyans have a great resource in, in our website, FayettePVA.com. It's, uh, I have spent years researching uh, similar websites at jurisdictions all over the country to bring the best of the best to Fayette County. So if you haven't used PVA type websites in other jurisdictions outside of Fayette County, I encourage you to do so uh, because the, ours really is uh, the best or in the top five in the country. And we've won awards for, for that being the case. So uh, you do need to, to register with an account, uh, but for the vast majority of what you may need the website for, uh, a paid subscription is not necessary. The, the free version of the subscription will get you what you're looking for. So what, uh, what Trent has pulled up on the screen is there's also a, a, a mapping. So if we, um, 
you can look up any property in the county. You can see the ownership of it, the owner's uh, mailing address. You can see the sales history, the assessment history, um, what the square footage is, what the size of the lot is, what it's zoned. And there's a page for each property in the county and there's about 113 properties in Fayette County. You can also see a picture uh, of the property. From that page, you can then click view map and it'll bring you to the screen that Trent has pulled up right now, which is a, a, a GIS interface. And there's some really cool stuff in here. On the far left-hand side where he's scrolling are a lot of different layers that you can turn off and on. And some of them are new layers that I've introduced just within the past couple of years. Um, the, the school zones, you, you can turn those layers on and see uh, what elementary school uh, you would be zoned for, what middle school you're zoned for. The FEMA floodplain layer is out here. So you can see if... Uh, if you might be within that. You can also see um, the, uh, the opportunity zone is on here. So for those of you who are looking to invest, um, there are economic incentives to invest in the, in the opportunity zone. So you may use that. Also, there's a, uh, Trent, if you would go to, um, over on the right-hand side of the screen, On the far right-hand side, there's a, a little thumbnail of the, of the property. If you look directly below the thumbnail, click on pictometry. So pictometry is high-resolution aerial photography. And you can, um, it takes a lot of bandwidth. So sometimes it takes us a second to load up. But that's probably because we're on, on Facebook. If you were just looking yeah. at it on your home computer this wouldn't be the case. So in the upper left-hand corner of this screen, you'll see a compass rose and some arrows below that. You can spin all the way around the property 360 degrees and see it from every angle. Um, you can also uh, Trent, click on the, the, the dot in between the two arrows. Um. Well, it's, it's okay. Yeah. I, it was gonna show you the overhead view, which you've, you've got here. And then if you look up towards the top of the, of the shot there where it says select a date. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Click on that. There's about a 12 year history, or in this case, a 17 year history that you can go back and see or a seven year, but it, it's usually 12 to 15 year history. You can go back and see how a property has changed over time. Okay, that is so cool. I'm going to go play because I'm on the PBA every single day. I did not know this. <laughs> and then go uh, Trent, go back if you would. Just hit the back button and it should take you back to the main map. All right. It's a little slow right now because I have three screens pulled up, Zoom going on and lots, lots happening. But I am going there now. So those little icons across the top. Mm-hmm. Right, right there, there's all kinds of cool stuff in there. There's measuring, you can go out here and measure um, if you just wanted to kind of get a gut check on square footage or um, the, the, the linear feed of, 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 of how much street uh, frontage you have here, you can do that. You can also, the, you see the, the, white, the white letter I over top of the blue circle on, yeah, the one right next to it to the right. If you click on that, this lets you choose properties and you can do it by either clicking them one at a time or drawing a box around them. So if you were, there you go. So you do that and now you've selected those three properties. 
And if you go up and click on the word results on the blue bar straight up, there's no. the three properties that you selected um, and you can export that. If you've got a paid subscription, you can export those out into mailing lists. So some of, the, some of the cool features on that, like for example, if you were seeking a zoning change, it, you would be required to send a letter to the property owners within 500 feet of any direction of you. And you could come here and use that feature to do that. Or, you know, if you were looking to, to buy a house and just wanted to go rogue and try to contact people directly, you can come here and use, use the list that way. So there's, there's a lot of super cool features here. And there's a lot of super cool features that most jurisdictions don't have access to. And for the vast majority of the people, it's all free. Well, I'm glad we had a chance to talk about this at the end, because this is, this is what I, I wanted to talk about this. <laughs> so much cool information. It would take a long time to go through it all. There's so many, uh, so many different things here that you can play around with. Right. And there's, and there's a lot of we didn't get into and we won't get into it. But up there on that blue bar, you'll see some words like uh, search and advanced search. There's all types of ways that you can come in here and slice and dice the data to find what you're looking for. Absolutely. I will be I'll be playing with this, uh, especially for my next investment. <laughs> Might be a while, but we'll see. Well, thank you all very much for being here, Liz, David and Julie. Thank you for for helping me out today. And um we, we really appreciate it. Like I said, when things get back to normal, hope to see you guys out and about again. Uh, I just wanted to, to give a quick note before we, uh, before we abscond for today. And that is our next show for our next show next week, 7 p.m., same time, same place. We are going to have some friends of mine and, and acquaintances of mine who have either been COVID patients or are currently suffering from COVID. And we're also going to have a medical doctor from Louisville uh, named uh, Dr. Hasselbacher. Did I get that right? Yes. Uh, who specializes in health policy and statistics, and he's the president of a health organization. So um, it's a very timely talk and a very timely show. And I think it's you know something very important that a lot of people will be interested in hearing about. The reason I'm doing this is I want, I want people to hear directly from folks who have had COVID locally. Uh, I think that would be, yeah, I think that's smart. Yeah. I, there, you know, at, at this point, a good percentage of our population either has had it or knows somebody who's had it. So um, for those who haven't or, you know, denying that COVID exists type stuff, uh, we, you know, it's, I think it's really important to hear from somebody who, who has had it. So that's the reason I'm doing this. So that's our show for next week. And again, we really appreciate everyone for being on tonight. It was a great presentation. And uh, at this point in time, we will absquatulate. That's yes, yes, that's the word of the day. We'll absquatulate. That means- we're I beg to... your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Yes, yes. All right. Well, thank you everyone very much. And um, until next time, have a good one. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks guys. Bye.